Time to travel with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Travel. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting with food blogger Anel Portgitter about some of the fabulous markets she's discovered around the country. Raylene Rourke of the Johannesburg Global Shapers community will be on the line and we'll be chatting about their partnership with an innovative young South African tourism-based startup called Josie 2.0. British Airways chef Mark Tazioli will be on the line from London and we'll be chatting about what it takes to feed us when we're flying. And then I'll be joined in studio by Barbara Lenhard, founder of Opulent Living and on the line by chef George Jardine. And we'll be chatting about the upcoming Chefs Who Share, the Art of Giving charity event. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to travel with Karen Key. On the line now, would you believe, is Mark Tazioli. He's a British Airways chef in London, but we're going to be talking about the introduction of the Flying Gourmet Burgers. It's on the bistro menu in the first-class cabin of British Airways. And, Mark, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen. Nice to speak to you. So this is a whole new departure for British Airways. Well, yes, we, um, you know, burgers have made such a big splash lately, especially in London. Uh, they're very, very popular at the moment. There's lots and lots of pop-up restaurants and all sorts doing gourmet burgers. So we thought we would give it a go on the in, on the aircraft. We had to do it slightly differently, and we had to work with different cuts of beef to get the right consistency and flavours uh, for the aircraft. So we did quite a lot of uh, development work on it, and in the end, we ended up deciding we were going to use chuck steak uh, cheek beef cheek and omelette, which some people know as a hanger steak, um, and a mixture of those three. And we formed the pate in the kitchen. And that's, yeah, basically, that's what we came up with, which was the best combination for us for texture and all the rest, uh, I, which worked well on the aircraft. I think what most people don't realise is that your sense of taste is reduced by about 30% when you're flying. Yeah, we've done, we've done quite a lot of work over the years. I mean, I, I suppose quite a few people would know that we um, did quite a bit of work with Heston Blumenthal mm, a few years ago. I remember that. And, and, we, and we did some work on taste at that point, and we took it on from there, and we worked with a company called Leverhead, who uh, food scientists. They did lots and lots of experiments on the ground and in the air, and all about taste, and all about, actually all about even things like crunchiness. Um, you know, they, they ate crisps on the ground and ate them in the air. And how did how did your sensation of a crunch change from on the ground into the air? But yeah, basically, for most people, uh, not everybody, but most people, around thirty percent, you you know, you lose the, the ability to taste the altitude. And that's all to do, you know, with things like the lack of moisture, the background noise, the pressure, and all, this, all of these have an effect on the taste buds. So that's why we have to, you know, develop uh, recipes which are slightly different for eating at altitude rather than on the ground. I remember a number of years ago, and it wasn't on British Airways, let me say that up front, when I flew somewhere, and I still, to this day, can't quite figure out if I had the chicken or the fish. I, I can't. I, I still don't know what it, what, it, what it was I had, because it could have been either one. Now, it wasn't British Airways, but, you know, obviously they hadn't taken the trouble to decide that, you know, you taste things differently when you're flying. So, you know, as I said, That's I'm not right. sure what it was I ate that day, but um, if I flew first <laughs> class in British Airways, I was, I'm sure going to be able to know what I'm eating. So, Mark, tell me, what exactly are these burgers? that we could be getting on British Airways. What do they consist of? I mean, you mentioned what meat you're using, but are they just the regular burgers? What are you adding to them? What do we get, can we expect? Okay. Well, what we did, as I mentioned before, we, we, we took three types of different cuts of beef and we experimented a lot around different cuts of beef and, and the way that they are minced, basically, uh, and what texture, you know, how fine we mince it, how fine we don't mince it. To, to create the right texture and flavor and the right combination of meat and fat because you need a little bit of fat in there to uh, give you that flavor, keep it moist. You might not know, but we have to cook everything on the ground. So it's heated, you know, it's reheated in the air. And basically, we also have to be very careful about what temperatures we cook food to. And we have to, we, we have to cook the food to a certain temperature to make it safe always. And it's very, very, very strict on that. So we have to work around all of these considerations when we're designing something. And that's why we took the three cuts that I mentioned, because actually they worked well for us. And so part of the development team, I work with a group of chefs, development chefs at our, our kitchens in London. And one of the guys had previous experience in, in the USA. So he was very, very good at helping us um, develop this, this, this right uh, texture. It took us a while to get there. 
So we develop the texture from there, and then we've we've added things like yes, we add chopped onions, a little bit of a little bit of chopped garlic, some herbs, um, and all these things go in to improve the flavour altitude. We don't use a lot of salt in our food. We definitely keep below the recommended daily limits for salt. We then developed a brioche bun to go with it. We, t- we tried all sorts of buns, but the, the best one for us was a brioche. It looked best, it tasted best, and it held up best in the air, and it didn't dry out too much, and that's because of the, the, the butter content in that. And then we've, we've got a combination of garnishes that we use. So we've got all sorts of salads that we're going to go with it, and relishes and sauces and all sorts. And basically, we'll change those from month to month as we go along. Uh, and I think we, we've got the burger on the menu probably for the next three months. And we'll see how it goes. But so far, uh, you know, the feedback's been good. People like it. It's a bit different for first. And it, it just a, it's just a nice snack for people to have. They can have it as a snack. They can have it as a main course. We also, we also serve burgers in the lounges at T5. And they're slightly different because the uh, makeup of the burgers for that is slightly different because they're fresh cooked and they don't have to be reheated in the air and all, all the rest of it. So basically, we, we develop the burger like we do a lot of the other food, or most of the other food. We have to take into account that, you know, most people lose the ability to taste, you know, about 30%. So we're having to allow for that, and we're having to allow for the moisture content that you need in the air to reheat. I also noticed that you're serving it with a side of triple-cooked chips. Now, Heston Blumenthal was here in Cape Town a year or so ago, and I remember going to a talk he did where he tried to explain to us poor people here how to cook these triple-cooked chips. And I just thought, no, seriously, that is way too much effort. I'll just throw them in the pan and just hope for the best. But the way he does these triple-cooked chips, I mean, they sound like I could live on these things forever. They just sounded delicious. Yeah, so what what we have to do is we have to – we triple-cook them because we we still want that – nice crunch mm. to a chip in the air, uh, which, is, which is difficult to achieve, very, very difficult to achieve. And the only way you can achieve that is triple cooking it. And the way we do that is basically we blanch them. So we blanch them in oil, so in a, in a deep fat fryer, at a lower temperature. So we're actually cooking the chips at that point. But we're not really browning them. We're not finishing them off at that point. We're just cooking them, and we cook them to a certain sort of texture that they are they're more, almost cooked. We take them out, and then we, the next stage, we turn the fryers up, and we cook them at a hotter temperature, and we get some color on them. Uh, and they start to, to start to become fully cooked at that stage, and we, we get the, the color on them. And after that, we drain. Obviously, between each stage, we drain. We drain them off. And then the third stage is we turn the fryers right up. And that, this, is the, this is the stage where we want that. We, we really want to cre- create that crunch and, and the texture and the color. So that's why we cook it three times, because you have to raise the temperature as you go. Otherwise, we'd end up with a very brown chip, which was raw in the middle. So how do you work this now? Do you do all of that on the ground, and how do you finish it off in the air? Or do you finish it off in the air? You can't have deep fat fryers on board the plane, surely? No. (laughs) No, that wouldn't be a good idea. No. So basically, what we do with really 99% of our food um, is we develop all the recipes on the ground, and what we do is we test them in the air first so but to be honest we have a lot of experience around creating menus for the air so we don't always have to go up in the air with it and test it we know where we need to be on the flavors and uh, the strengths of flavor and what we need to be doing to different sources and all the rest to make them work in the air but we say we developed the burger we developed it all we we do all of this on the ground all of our cooking techniques are on the ground they're in the kitchen and then what happens to all of our food, our cooked food, is it's chilled. We have to cool the food very, very quickly after we've cooked it to below 5 degrees centigrade, uh, and we use blast chillers to do that. So we blast chill everything. Once it's been blast chilled, it's all then put into a dish or a tray or whatever we're going to do. In the case of the burger, it's put into a foil tray in little compartments, and everything has its own compartment. And the instructions are on there as well for the crew, how to heat it. And we also have a little book we do for each menu called a chef's chat, which shows the crew, the crew how to um, heat it up, the right temperature on which ovens, because we've got different ovens on the aircraft. It also lists all the allergens which are in any meal. And it has pictures as well to show them how to present it. So the crew get this uh, little kit of the burger and all the rest that goes with it, and put it, put, put the bits that need to go in the oven in the oven and leave the other bits out, hopefully, 
And then, uh, basically, they follow the picture and they present it the way we originally presented it on the plate. So they get a plate, they take it from the oven, and then they plate it on the plate. So um, they just they follow the presentation that we originally did in the kitchen. And we do that for all of our food in first. Um, so it's all individually loaded by kit. And they, it's all loaded so it, when you can order at any time, the crew put it in the oven and heat it up. It doesn't matter what part of the flight it is, you can order it. So it's all there ready to go. Now you obviously, I mean, this sounds, it's, it gives us, us people who fly every now and again quite an insight into what goes into preparing the meals for us on the plane. What about sort of uh, the cattle class lot? Obviously, I mean, you, you would obviously, you know, the same attention to detail as you would in first class. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really matter to us which class it is because we develop the same. So, you know, we pay the same attention to detail and, and authenticity for whether it's World Traveller, whether it's uh, Club World or whether it's First. And World Traveller, we do a lot of research because basically those meals are made up. They're ready in the dishes. They have to go in the oven already. The ovens are full up when the crew get on board. And we have to have a combination of dishes which are going to heat in the ovens at the, a similar sort of time. And we also need them to taste as good in the air as they do on the ground. So we do, uh, again, adjust the recipes and do quite a lot of work on the recipes. We've just done a week, a whole week doing uh, World Traveller and Hot Meals. And to get, I think we ended up with about 20 different meals and we must have tasted around 150 different recipes to get there. So, we, yeah, we do, do a lot of um, work on that. We also, as I mentioned, we, we're quite very keen on um, authenticity. So... We do things like, for our Indian roots, we do different menus for southern India to northern India because of the regionality of the food. We, um, we bring chefs from India to London to make sure that it's authentic. And they come over and they, they design authentic recipes for us. Um, they advise us on the, on the right spices to use and how to use the spices and the flavor profiles and all that sort of stuff. And again, at the moment, we're working on Japan. So some of the guys are going to Japan next week. And then after that, we should bring some Japanese chefs over here to help us out to be authentic again. So we're doing about 17 different types of cuisine out of the London kitchen at the moment. So um, we're, all, we're always working on the next thing or, you know, the next menu. So uh, it, it's just constant, really. Now, you fly. I mean, British Airways flies regularly to Cape Town in, into South Africa here. Do you have any sort of regional specialities of ours on your menu? We do, uh, we basically, the way we work is we do regional specialities out of the station that we're flying out of. So say out of Cape Town, we would do a couple of regional specialities on the menu out of there. And we have, uh, let's have a look. We're just looking at some of, the, some, of the, some of the menus out of Cape Town. So, you know, we've got a, uh, a fillet of maize-fed Karoo beef. Oh, yes. With, mm-hmm. with Shiraz wine stew. So that's one of the things. You know, normally on every menu, there's a little bit of provenance, if you like, from, from where we're coming from. And it depends where we're coming from. But certainly uh, South Africa provides us with a good choice. So uh, we actually, on first day, we're using a, a, a nice pinotage sauce. So we, there's all sorts of bits on the menu from South Africa, which we try to get in as much as we can. So obviously, sometimes it depends if we can get hold of the, the items in enough volume. Out of, out of London... We concentrate on British provenance. So the, the menus to South Africa out of London would be more of, uh, featuring British beef, uh, British corn-fed chicken, all this sort of stuff. Um, and we try to get as much of that in as possible. Uh, we, we do quite often go with all British cheeses, but to be honest, at the moment, I've put a, cup, a couple of French ones into first because actually they're such good cheeses that we don't want to ignore them and they're only across the channel so they're fairly local to us if you like but we are yeah we are we concentrate on a lot of using a lot of good ingredients from wherever we come from and we do try to be as local as possible well it's given i think given my listeners a whole new insight into what goes into that tray of food that is placed before you on the plane i mean you sort of order what you want and you just whatever it is arrives but you don't go about thinking what went into getting it there in the first place and i think you've helped us understand there's a whole lot more than just the air hostess delivering it to you on the plate it's it's sort of gone into sort of research it's taken months to research all the development of the dishes the flavors it's quite quite an amazing thing that you do mark and i really have to thank you very much indeed for sharing all of that with us this, this evening 
Well, thank you, Karen. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I was chatting there with Mark Tazioli. He's a chef with British Airways. And if you'd like to find out more about British Airways, you can have a look at their website. It's www.ba.com. And as I mentioned at the beginning, British Airways has now, there's a list of the world's top burger joints and British Airways is suggesting 10 of the world's top burger joints and if you'd like a list of those just drop me a mail to travel at safm.co.za and I'll send you that list and uh, South Africa's gourmet buri in Cape Town has made that list and there's lots of amazing ones you may remember a while ago I spoke with Richard Holmes one of our travel journalists who went over to Las Vegas and went to the heart attack grill and that's actually one of their recommendations as well so if you'd like that list just drop me a mail travel at safm.co.za Time to travel with Karen Key. Anel Portget is back in the studio, and um, this evening she's going to be talking to us a little bit about where to shop at which markets and what you can buy there. And it's, oh, no, I'm going to be drooling all the way through this. If you want to follow Anel and find out where she's gone and what she's doing and what she's eating, you can have a look at her blog. It's lifeisazoobiscuit.com. Anel, you've been marketing. Where have you been? Good evening. Yes, hello. Good evening, Karen. I've been marketing at the Palms Market. This is in Cape Town. Yes. Mm. It's a small little authentic market at the Palms Deacon Lifestyle Centrum, and it's on every Saturday. But the interesting is that the the Deacon Lifestyle Centrum was originally the old William Bauman's Bakery. Oh, they did biscuits. Yes, remember the Bowman's. Oh, now, now, now I'm giving away my age, but yes, <laughs> Bowman's biscuits, I remember them. Yes, and um, they are now called Baker's Cookies. Mm, I remember okay. the Baker's Biscuits, mm, the Baker Baker's Man. Man. The Baker's Man, oh, yeah. I can remember this Baker's Baker Man. Baker Man can, yeah. yes. So mm. the Baker Man actually started there. Um, okay. So it's beautiful architecture, like old world architecture. So it really looks like you are in Paris Ooh, or anywhere does, in the world. Yeah. There's extremely interesting people there. I'm going to start with, and, and I always believe, Corin, to to, to get to know people, you have to eat your way through their food. Okay, can I, can I start? Yes. Because Anel came in here this evening with a jar of traditional Turkish pesto. Now, I've mm. eaten pesto before. I eat a lot of pesto. I've never had traditional Turkish pesto. Mm. And she gave me a little taste off the end of a spoon. Well, mm, I'm going to be licking my <laughs> lips all the way through this interview. That was the most delicious pesto I think I've ever had. It is the most delicious pesto. This is this Turkish guy. I couldn't actually convert with him because he's Turkish. Oh, no English. He's, no, no. Very, very, very okay. small bit of English. And I can't actually pronounce his name either. Um, but he's got this small little store there and he sells these amazing pestos. I think you had a traditional one tonight mm, and then there's yes. another one that he mixes with a bit of olives. Um, and it doesn't taste like our, uh, our normal. No, it's it, complete. It tastes, I mean, I've eaten Turkish food and no. the minute I put that in my mouth, it took me right back to when mm, I'd eaten Turkish food. Mm. It's so Moorish and it's made out of different seeds and nuts and, and tomato mm. and it is just so moorish and rich and you just want to t- tuck in and eat the whole thing with a spoon well, you yes. don't even want to put it on a biscuit no no. So that is a Turkish guy. And then I'm, then I'm very... So does he only sell it at the market? He, only, he sells at the market. He told me he's opened a shop, but I couldn't oh. get the name from him in Woodstock somewhere. We're selling like other Turkish stuff as well, but I will come back with you with an answer on that one. Okay. Yeah. And then I met Karen Hart. She's from Tuerkumbais. Now, Tuerkumbais in English is uh, Wizard Kitchen. Mm, okay. Yeah. And um, she makes homemade Romani creams, Ooh, but yummy. the white one as well, like a white chocolate Romani cream is to die for. And she told me the interesting story is that the three Japanese ladies used to come and um, eat every day, will buy every Saturday a cookie from her, and they will just buy one cookie. And they were these thin Japanese girls, and um, they each just had a bite of the cookie, and they shared, <laughs> each one shared one cookie. They're better than me. I don't think I would have shared that, but anyway... <laughs> Yeah, and when they left, they asked her to bake her a few big bowls of um, the Romani cream so they could take that with. Where were they from? They were from New York. Oh, oh so these went all the way back over to America. Yeah. Okay. South African handmade Romani creams. And then there's a lovely lady that makes the fantastic marmalade. And she actually won a marmalade prize, silver prize in London. Her name is Claire Yowell. And she made it, let me just see, what was the marmalade's name? It was Lime lemon and ginger marmalade how fantastic is that mm. a south african marmalade competing against and wins a silver prize and wins a silver prize and then she's got 
other fantastic marmalades like chocolate orange marmalade, rum raisin orange marmalade, stuff that I've never heard of before. She's very innovative and, yeah, classic, 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 classic marmalades. Mm, guess we'll be on Saturday. <laughs> and then I met Reuben Riffle's niece there. Oh, right, the Reuben Riffle. He's on, on this year's of the upcoming MasterChef. Yeah, he's a judge at MasterChef. I'm looking forward to that. Mm. Yes, people that don't know who you are, Tell people who you are. You were on Me. the first. You were on the first series season of MasterChef. Yeah, I'm the person that got kicked out at the potato challenge. <laughs> and, and the life as a zoo biscuit was because you went home and sulked and ate zoo biscuits exactly. for a month. Exactly. Mm. That's how I got to zoo biscuit. And I just couldn't believe that I'm out on a potato and I didn't touch potatoes for about six months. I didn't want to just see to spite pota- them. That was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, okay. I was distraught and devastated. Well, I'm glad you're here. Well, Sarita Riffle makes the most amazing fit cooker Ooh. with mince and with cheese. And then she makes her own preserve, like kumquat preserves and strawberry preserve. It is just delicious and to die for. Obviously runs in the family, this cooking thing. Yeah, very much in the mm. family. Yeah. And she's from French Hook. And then another meal that I love eating there is Isabella Niao. She's actually the coordinator of the market, is a quiches. Karen, you have never tasted a quiche till you've tasted Isabella's quiches. I get this, they sell it in this big fat slices and I just tuck in there and I eat the whole thing. So what sort of quiches now? Oh gosh, it's like bacon and mushroom and leek quiches. It is just to die for. I've never tasted a quiche so creamy and rich like that. You are just so full afterwards. But it, And then I always take a big slice with um, home for next day breakfast as well. I don't stop there. Mm, I don't okay. stop there. Okay. <laughs> and then there's another lovely lady called Lona. She is, she's got a little stall with a very interesting girl called Lucy. Lucy is from England. She's been here for about, I think, four or five years. And they had stalls opposite each other. Um, Lona is Afrikaans and Lucy is British. So they just decided to st- make the, a stall together. So they've got their own little, they call it Lucy's Tea Garden. So Lucy does a traditional scone and tea while Lona makes Cook Sisters. Okay. So they are Afrikaans and then this English-British girl. And I think it's a lovely story mm. that these two met at the market and decided to combine their little stalls at the market. And they're so much fun and laughs and, yeah, you can linger on at that their little table for quite a while. Very interesting. There's also some sisters that are doing something. What is the story yeah. with them? Yeah, there's three sisters that's making delicious sauces, and they call themselves Easy Peasy, and they make delicious sauces as well as malva puddings that you can buy there frozen, and you can take them home and just warm them up in your microwave. Nice. They're lovely, I must say. Now, these three sisters decided to do this when the one sister was getting fed up with her husband <laughs> that was playing golf <laughs> on Saturdays, and she was getting bored. You see how innovative we can get when mm. your husband irritates you, huh, Corin? Gosh, what can we do? <laughs> yeah, so, so they made sauce. So they make these delicious sauces. And then as well, every Saturday there's live music at this market. Um, they've got wonderful music there. They've got Indian um, delights and Indian little wrappers there. They've got fresh, fresh mushrooms from Darling. You know, the one thing I can say about this market, it's not overpriced. I bought this big, beautiful bag of mushrooms um, for 30 rand. Well, that's um, not bad. N- not bad at all. And it's like the oyster pink, the oyster white, the shiitakes. It is just fantastic. It's not overpriced. And another thing is they've got parking, 300 parking spaces for free. And you don't have to pay. And it's undercover, especially in wintertime mm. now. You know, you can just pop in and no problem. Every second Saturday, there's a, I don't know what the English work is, Brukantemark. Um, it's like they do in the French Plateland where they sell out of boots these old, uh, not artifacts, old things like linen and porcelain and um, LP records and stuff. And I bought the most beautiful like 1950s, 60s handbag there, like little pillbox handbag there. So you find all these little gems um, in these places. Current. Now, the, the other thing about this, though, by, by mm. what you're telling me, there's no sort of commercialization. There's no sort of factory-made. It's all homemade mm. stuff. Is, mm. Am I right? Yeah, I spoke to Isabella, and she says they only choose people that make their stuff at home. Oh, okay. Even like Dirk van Toner that bakes his bread. He bought a wood-fired oven that's in his home. There's no factories involved. Everybody works in the kitchens. The thing about Dirk van Toner is that he's English, isn't he? <laughs> 
he's very English. Um, his father was a fantonder, but he told me that his father passed away a long time ago, so he is like completely English, like a English name like Dirk van Tonder. <laughs> yeah, and he's Dirk Bakes Bread. Okay. <laughs> That's his name. No, of his I, I have to ask you because I'm looking at some of the photographs mm. that you've put up on your blog, and I have to ask you about these bright blue cabbages. What is with those bright blue cabbages? I know that's probably just the picture. It is oh, just normal big. Thought, green. Oh my goodness! They're selling bright blue cabbages. <laughs> oh, that's the picture. Okay. Now, I think you can get those bright blue cabbage flowers. You know they yes, sell yes, those yeah. stuff in the but shop. But this is the real thing, I and mean, no, they're this, not blue. No, 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 they're not. They're not blue. blue. Yeah. But now, okay. So this, I'm sitting here feeling all sort of um, selfish about us having this fabulous market here. But you actually have a list of markets around the country. Mm. Have you visited any of these around the country? Yes, I visited um, the Harbour Bay Market. In well, that's in Hart Bay. Yeah, so, that's okay. in Hart Bay. And the City Bell Market uh, in Hope Street. That's lovely. It's on, on Thursdays and on Saturdays. And it's also like a really communal mm. place. Okay. Um, and then the Neighborhood Goods Market, the Biscuit Mall that everybody knows. And then... If, if you haven't been to the Urania Zich City Farm Market, that is just fantastic mm. because there you get your fresh produce. And I think on Wednesday evenings, you can go and pluck your own vegetables or go and harvest. I think that's Lazinski, who was CEO of Cape Town Tourism mm. many years ago. That, I think that's her initiative. She yes. started that a while ago. Yes. And what about the rest of the people in the rest of the country? Okay. I've, I've put it out on Facebook to all my foodie friends, and they came up with these names of excellent markets. Um, and there's one in, there's in Kazulu Natal. They've got... They said the Shongweni Farmers and Craft Market, and then the Food Market in Durban North. In Gauteng, I've been to the Pretoria Buddha Market. That's excellent. Then they've also suggested Greenland Goods Market, Four Ways Farmers Market, Neighbour Goods Market, and Josie Food Market. And down in Bloemfontein, it's a Volksblad, Course and Kunstmark at the B- Botanical Gardens. So that's the food and art market, basically. Yeah, yeah. but they yeah, focus on food and art. Food and art is a very interesting subject. Mm. I still want to touch on that one day, um, for, especially for tourists. I visited a few places in Stellenbosch this weekend with a few f- food and art when they combine the two. And it's also interesting well, subject. you have to come and tell us about food and yeah. art. I don't think, and we often talk about food and wine. I don't think we often mm. talk about food and art. Mm, they go hand in hand together, food actually. Food and art. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to come and educate me on food and art. <laughs> okay. Right. So now that you've got us all drooling, but at least we weren't selfish enough just to tell people about the Cape Town ones where we are. We've given them some tips about ones around the country. I'll put that list of markets around the country on the Facebook page. It's Travel on SAFM. Have a look there and they'll be there if you're wanting to go and find out where to go and buy some delicious goodies. But Anil, thank you once again very much for joining us on the show. And look forward to you another sort of uh, venture into the food world. Thank, thank you, you so Karen. much. I was chatting there with Anel Portgitter, and if you'd like to follow her on her blog, it's lifeisazoobiscuit.com, and you heard about why that is that, because she was very upset, and so she ate zoo biscuits for a whole month, and then decided her life, all her life consisted of was zoo biscuits. So her blog is lifeisazoobiscuit.com, but go and have a look there, some wonderful stuff on there, as well as some fantastic photographs, so go and have a look, and Anel has promised to come back and tell us all about food and art next time for tourists. Sounds interesting, so we look very forward to that, but in the meantime, have a look at the blog. Life is a zoobiscuit.com. Time to travel with Karen Key. The grant charity event that last year raised 1.2 million rand for youth development is back on the 11th of September and promises this year to deliver not only even more culinary artistry than last year, but also a rare opportunity to get up close and personal with some absolute heroes of the food scene locally and from around the world. And this, I believe, is the brainchild of the founder of Opulent Living magazine, Barbara Lenhard, who joins us this evening. Barbara, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening. So this brainwave of yours. This is the second year you're going to be doing it. Now, where did it come from? Karen, that's a beautiful question and a great story. We we shot um, 12 of the top chefs um, in 2012 for the magazine, actually. And in November 2012, I attended a beautiful function in the Winelands. And two of the top chefs, um, actually Bertus Basson and Rudy Liebenberg, joined me for that evening. And we chatted and they said, can't you come up with any kind of crazy idea where you actually involve us as chefs in a beautiful event? And I think in November 2012, I really went to bed at one o'clock in the morning. And that was the moment I thought, okay, we have to bring something on the map of top cuisine, youth development, charity, black tie. And that's how it all started. And then it really went on and on. 
And it tells it all from the name. It's called Chefs Who Share the Art of Giving. Yeah. And that is really what it's all about, yeah. is that these chefs are giving back. I mean, a lot of them are very successful. They are the top of their field. I mean, and this year, as I mentioned, you're bringing in international chefs. This has a lot of credibility, something like this, where you are managing to attract the top names in the, in, in the industry. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. Last year, on the 5th of September 2013, Chefs Who Share the Art of Giving took place for the first time in the City Hall. And we actually wanted to do it with about seven chefs and asking them to cook always for a very limited amount of people because you can cater the five-star cuisine only really for a few people. So um, I think at the end we had nine chefs um, early 2013. And then I thought, okay, nine chefs, that doesn't work out seven um, teams. So we thought, okay, let's upgrade it to 14 chefs. And they all jumped on board. And I mean, we really have the top names. And this is really the level where I say the Eat Out Award top chefs in the country and the people who really make a difference in the food industry but luckily with a charity event like that they also make in this, uh, a big change in the in the in the sense that we really raise big money so last year we had duos of chefs which was already very unique and this year with the crazy idea of some people and with the amazing support of swiss international airlines we fly in seven michelin star chefs from germany and austria and this year we're not going to have duos we're actually going to have trios and we pair them up each with a dedicated sommelier so four top industry leaders will cater always for 36 people each so that's the little bit the concept that's incredible and I mean, some of the names, I mean, I've seen the list of some of these chefs. I mean, these, this is the creme de la creme of the, of, the, of the culinary world, I mean, that you are bringing together for an event like this. And it's so nice that these, these, are, these are not people that have asked to come. You have invited them. You've chosen these chefs. Yes, yes, absolutely. We really choose wisely. And I mean, you know, you work with some of the chefs who have been part of the concept and you actually ask and you say, is that the level? Is that the league? And is that the personality? You know, I mean, we've got wonderful chefs, but I believe that chefs we chose last year and I mean we would have loved to do it again with the same chefs but you know I mean they're all very involved in a lot of projects charity and also in their own industry and in their own work and success so some of them are not going to be able to do this year because they are in I think one of them is in London the other one is actually doing an amazing project in in Kenya and and I hope uh, that that person can travel but I mean you know it's it's really something where I say we choose wisely we ask them we propose would you like to be part of chefs who share the art of giving and I'd like to mention they all work for free and this is for me probably the biggest thank you what I'd like to say on that moment because they put their time their energy and it's a huge logistic and a lot of time energy and the setup and the choosing the menus and the pairing wines so everybody works quite a bit on that from the hours and they all work for free and this is really something what I think is amazing you've upped the number of chefs this year so I'm assuming the number of guests that will be able to attend has also increased hopefully which means that the the size of the donation you'll be able to make will be bigger as well um, we, we couldn't make the numbers of guests bigger simply because of the venue. We are hosting it again, like last year in the Grand Dame, the City Hall in Cape Town. And unfortunately, even I can't move walls, which I would like oh, to Barbara, do. Barbara, really? <laughs> no, I'd love to do because I, um, Karen, honestly, we, we announced the ticket sales for Chefs Who Share this year on the, in the early days of July. We've been sold out in four working days. That's I'd incredible. Like, honestly, and I'm so proud. And, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say how much we charge per ticket. We charge 3,000 rand per person. I think that's quite a figure which not everybody is willing to pay for a beautiful dinner. But um, we will have an auction like last year. We managed to secure incredible art, incredible experiences. We will have an auction book printed for the night like we did last year, but we will also have the auction book online. So please, if anybody would like to be a telephone bidder or even with emails, please contact us. Um, there's an email address which we use. It's tickets at chefswhoshare.com. Please, everybody's welcome. And we just want to raise more than last year. And I'm very positive that we're going to achieve that result. And the charities that you're supporting this year? It's again like last year. We said never change a winning team. And um, if I may just step a little bit for, um, to the back. Without Mercedes-Benz, and I mentioned Swiss, without Mercedes-Benz, last year the event would have never taken place. This year it's again Mercedes-Benz. We have got another supporting partner, which is Deutsche Bank and Swiss, as I mentioned, the flights. So I'm very grateful that we say it's a 100% charity event because we are backed up from the costs for that whole operation by our presenting partners. And the charity organizations like last year is Med Charity, 
led by Francois Pinard and Laureus Sport for Good Foundation. So both charities, youth development, one by education and the other one um, via sport. But you've also included this year the Veggie Box Initiative, which is rather fun. <laughs> um, I love that you come back to that because that's very dear to me. The Veggie Boxes has been part of the concept already last year. But we said people get invited or people pay 3,000 rand or even a sponsor invites somebody like Karen Barber. You sit there and you actually don't contribute personally to this event, to the result. So we thought we must come up with something which is a little bit of an initiative which we actually took further since last year. The Veggie Box is where we say people can donate a thousand rand visually uh, not visually but i mean the veggie boxes so that we put this on a different account and last year we managed to raise eighty thousand rand additionally on that night which we gave to the amy beale foundation so this year again i hope that the auctioneer or one of the top mcs will make the comment to say please everybody stand up and only the people who now sit down don't support the veggie box initiative <laughs> yeah i'd like to make a little bit of fun your two mcs this year jeremy mansfield and jerry ranselli Elsden, great big names in the industry. So you've really got the top, as I mentioned earlier, the creme de la creme of everything. Oh, Karen, listen, you are the best <laughs> ambassador for the event already. But you know, if you if you charge 3,000 rand, if you want to establish an event on the top level, and actually if your dream is for the last one and a half year, taking that whole concept overseas and imagine we can celebrate chefs who share the art of giving every year in a country around the world, raising awareness plus money for youth development in South Africa. You have to pitch it high. And when I pitched the whole idea to Jerry Elston and Jeremy Mansfield, who is a trained chef, which I think is already an incredible match, and the two like each other, because they are very important for the, for the success of that night. If they understand the whole spirit, but if they also understand that this wonderful sharing angle is the most important, if we all start realizing, if we all interlink a little bit more and make things work together, we can achieve far more better results. Well, somebody else who's been invited to join you for the evening is uh, Chef George Jardine. He's yes. on the line. George, good, e good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Nice to be speaking to you. Well, this is rather an exciting thing to become to be part of. And uh, I was reading through some information about you, and it almost seems to me as if you really didn't have much of a choice when it came to ending up in the food world. Your family seemed to yeah. have landed you there years ago. Yeah, I was um, coaxed into it, definitely by the family, but it's uh, it's not been a bad thing for me, so, so I'm happy with it. Well, I mean, your grandmother, I was reading, was a pastry chef at Holyrood Palace, and apparently half of your family after that were all in the, in the kitchens all over Scotland. Yes, indeed. So you grew up in the kitchen, did you? I grew up in the, in the kitchen, in my mum's kitchen, definitely, yeah, and, and in the garden. We grew a lot of our vegetables, so we, we genuinely grew up eating. Oh, that's never a bad thing. And, and then you came to South Africa. Well, you first you studied, well, you worked under Jean-Christophe Novelli in, in England, which was a, quite amazing in London. Yeah, that was quite exciting. And then I came to, I first came to South Africa to open up a, a restaurant under Jean-Christophe's name at the Cerasonos. I remember that. I was there a number of times, absolutely loved it. And now you've actually got your own restaurant, Jordan Restaurant, and a bakery as well. Yes. And how did you get involved? I mean, obviously you were invited to join in Chefs Who Share and... Uh, how have you found that? What is what has it meant to you to be part of something like this? Well, I mean, it's always nice to, you know, being a chef or a restaurateur, you're in a fortunate position to be able to facilitate things like this or to help. So, it's, you know, it's always good for us to get involved. Many of the other top chefs there, it's always a, it's definitely a bit of a job for us back at house. What does it mean to you to actually be able to give back, though? I mean, it's all exciting to be part of all of this with all the other guys that are coming out and all these international Michelin-star chefs who will be joining you here in, in Cape Town. It must be a, an amazing feeling to feel that you're actually making a difference. Yeah, so it's definitely a tremendous pleasure for us to give back in any way we can. And definitely through winter, you know, a lot of the chefs are involved in different programs. And I think generally um, chefs seem to be pretty giving people. And what what is on the cards? Have you worked out the menus yet? Have you started developing all of those yet? I mean, what are you planning for this year? Just give us some tips if you've if you've done something, just to tantalise us to make us all start drooling now. Okay, so we've done. We've got a, obviously we've got our German chef involved, and he's doing a, a, our first course. He's doing a tuna tartare with a baked egg. PJ Vardis is doing our starter. He's doing a nice soup with um, Jerusalem artichokes. My main course is going to be smoked and roasted Dharma lamb, beautiful young spring carrots, and then we're, we're all coming together for the big finale with chocolate. 
So it's very much of a team effort. I mean, I was just talking earlier now to Barbara and she was saying that, you know, there's, they're working in trios this year for the first time. And it's rather exciting that you'll be able to sort of bounce off each other and sort of, you know, work together as a team. That's the main part. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, last year was, we were we were couples in the kitchen. It was a lot easier to coordinate. Uh, there's definitely been a few areas lost in translation by email, but definitely we're, we're there now. The menu looks good. It's not about the individual chefs and the sommeliers and the guests. South Africa brings something like that on the map. And I know that we can take it further. And I believe one day we're going to fly with seven South African top hero chefs who have been part of that concept. And George, I'm extremely grateful because you have been one of the chefs already last year. And I know one day and hopefully already 2015, we're going to take it overseas and we fly and cook in Europe and we raise money and awareness for South Africa. So we'll we'll be the international chefs flying in. Uh, Okay, I like that. an amazing initiative. Barbara, it's something that can actually just go on and on and on because, you know, it it will never get stale. I hope so. And I don't think it actually really gets stale, like you say. And and if I see already what developed from last year to this year, the hype, the energy, the people who really want to be part of this, this is just incredible. And I'm just the most grateful, the most appreciative person because, I mean, you know, it's a team effort. But I say somebody just needs to be a little bit the crazy person who develops the idea. But at the moment, it runs with an incredible team of people. And that's what really gives me the biggest pleasure on that planet. And George, you in it for the long haul you in for when you could be one of those international chefs flying in somewhere overseas next year yeah that sounds nice but i don't know i think for me being in south africa is the best place to be so i don't know Oh, we like you very much, George. I'll be flying. I'm scared of flying. (laughs) I love you too, George, but you will be part of it. And I will not let you out of South Africa, but just for two days cooking somewhere in London or in New York. Can you imagine? (laughs) Can you imagine? It will be absolutely fantastic. Well, I wish you all a wonderful event on the 11th of September. Unfortunately, for anyone sitting out there now who thought, gosh, that sounds really great. I'm so sorry, but the tickets have been sold out. Next year, maybe. Next year. But please, I really mean it. You know, we had a cancellation of four tickets last week and I already had the possibility to sell them on the email address tickets at chefs who share.com please email us as we all know 252 people there will be somebody who would like to release the tickets and i know it will happen we've got a little waiting list already but you know i always say things happen for a reason so please don't be shy inbox us and we will try to make everything And the Veggie Box Initiative, how do people go about getting involved with that? Thanks for asking, Karen. Um, There is a website which is dedicated to the whole event and it's www.chefswhoshare.com. The Veggie Box Initiative is on there. There is a link um, to click through and people can donate a thousand rand if they want and we put it up and we raise this money on a separate account. So that's not going to be mixed with the auction and the ticket sales. And every four or five months we try to go with the team into a project here in the Western Cape actually into the township and to give a check with money and to cook with a bunch of children and with a local hero chef and to have a great day of fun and actually to be taken a little bit out of our little cocoon world. And as Barbara said, 100% of all money donated for this event goes to charity. There's no administrative costs there's, because that's all being covered by their sponsors. Absolutely. Every single cent you donate for this will go into youth development, be it in with the MAD Foundation, which is the one run by Francois Pinar, or otherwise the Laureus Sport for Good Foundation. The MAD Charity, by the way, stands for Make a Difference. So you will be making a huge difference if you get involved with this. And, of course, the Veggie Box Initiative is something else. Just go to the website. It's Chef's who share.com or if you think you might like a ticket there might be a cancellation you might just be lucky you can go to it's tickets at chefs who share.com or please call our office on 021 433 I really say that's the easiest and please mention that you would like to request for a ticket as I said I I know even in a week before the event people will have something on so please just feel free to call well, as I said, it sounds like once again a fabulous initiative and uh, we're hoping you'll beat your 1.2 million from last year. That would be amazing. I'm dying to hear about it. I will chat with you afterwards and find out how that went. <laughs> Barbara, thank you very much indeed for joining us. And George, thank you very much indeed for joining us and have a fabulous night cooking for all those lucky people. Thank you. Thank you. Really, a pleasure. I was chatting there with Barbara Leonard. She's the founder of Opulent Living magazine and also with George Jardine. He's a chef of note here in South Africa. He's one of the participants in this year's event, the Chefs Who Share the Art of Giving. It's happening on the 11th of September. And as we stand at the moment, all the tickets are sold out. But as Barbara said, there might be somebody who might just decide 
they can't make it on the night. So if you want to be put on the list, you can call them 021-433-1699 or tickets at chefswhoshare.com. And also if you want to get involved with the Veggie Box initiative, that is just chefswhoshare.com and you'll be able to click through onto that and make a donation there if you'd like to. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, here's something new coming up for all of you living in Josie. There's something called Josie 2.0. It's coming up on the weekend of the 6th and the 7th of September. And it's a community tourism project, which is this Josie 2.0. But it's in collaboration. It's working in partnership with the Johannesburg Global Shapers community. And from that community, I'm joined this this evening by Raylene Rourke. Raylene, good evening. Welcome to the show. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So before we get to Josie 2.0, tell me a little bit about Johannesburg Global Shapers Community. Who are you and what do you do? So the Global Shapers Community is um, its a city hub. There's over 350 hubs around the world. And it really is a group of young people who uh, sit in a space and do stuff make some sort of a local impact, so do projects in their communities to move the community forward. So in this case, our community is Johannesburg, and we run all kinds of projects, from tourism to kind of leadership projects with other young people. Now, you've teamed up, or you are working in partnership with Josie 2.0, and this is a community tourism project. Right. So Josie 2.0 is actually the project's name. The organization we've collaborated with is Tour 2.0. And they're doing some incredible work already in the city uh, on inner city tours and using stories of young people in the city and converting them into commercial tours. So as a Shapers community, we've collaborated with them on three of their tours to celebrate the Tourism Month, now in September. And we'll be just showcasing and helping them showcase some of these tours, getting some media coverage, getting some corporates involved so people can start to see a different side of Johannesburg and not necessarily go to the same old places. But how do we start telling different fresh stories about inner city and what's happening? And there's no better way than doing it in tourism. So what's happening on the weekend of the 6th and the 7th of September? Obviously, I mean, people can book to do this, but to right. tell, tell, tell us a little bit about what's happening over that weekend, what people can actually go and do. Over that weekend, we've singled out uh, three different tours. Uh, Saturday, the 6th of September, there's two tours taking place that people can get involved. One of them is a walking tour in Fordsburg. And that's a two-hour tour where you'll kind of go into the flea markets and the markets of Fordsburg, and we've got a really cool tour operator who sort of show us around that area and, and the magic in that area. And then after that, also on Saturday, there's the um, Yeovil African Culinary Tour. And that's a four-hour tour from 12 o'clock to 4 o'clock. And uh, people can go onto the website to get more information and book their tickets. Otherwise, I'll give my details as well. On Sunday, the 7th of September, we're doing a jazz tour of Alexandra. So in the community of Alexandra, we've got jazz musicians and quite a lot of local talent and a little bit of a history tour in that space. And that's starting from, uh, I'd say, Hoppest One. Uh, Everybody's meeting at the Marlborough Station, so Howe Train Station. And then uh, the tour starts at 2 to about 6 o'clock or whenever you'd like to leave. Now, this is what's happening over that particular weekend, but what else do they offer? Do they offer stuff year-round? I mean, can you do tours with them all the time? Yes, so you can get tours all year round uh, and, and even getting out of Johannesburg. So I know they've got uh, one in Cullinan as well. And I know they've got stuff like uh, bird watching in Soweto. I know they've got the Clip Town Cycle Tour. I know they've got quite a few different other tours. But um, our collaboration for this weekend in celebration of Tourism Month will be around those three tours. And we'd love as many people, bloggers, anybody to, you know, just get involved and just share the story, tweet and Facebook to share different experiences in Johannesburg. But this sounds now, Raylene, exactly what it is that the Global Shapers get involved with, looking for new innovative ideas from entrepreneurs in Joburg. Yes. So the Global Shapers, yes. So we've got no restriction on how we can um, get in what projects we get involved in. It's just about elevating our young people and our community. So some of our other projects are around writing a book on the perspective of young people on different topics. Some of our other projects are about meeting the leaders. So, uh, not so long ago, we met former President Khalema Montante, where we had an opportunity to talk to him and ask him all kinds of questions. And it was the Global Shapers that then uh, created that 
opportunity for it to happen. So I'm, I'm taking lead on just one of the many projects and, and it's around tourism. So what is else is on the cards? Have you got anything else going for Tourism Month there, really? Or is just the, the, the Josie 2.0? So I think uh, the team at Tour 3.0 might have a few things going on. For us, it's just this and hoping we can get the conversation keep on going throughout uh, throughout the month. But this will be the only activation for now. But it's really, it's great because I would imagine something like what you're doing with the, the shapers, the community, it's very much mm-hmm. younger people. And that's what we're needing to do is to excite the younger people to get involved in their local communities, to talk about what they do, where they live. And you know, because that is what the tourists are looking for now. And people coming in is that they're looking for that experience. They're not just wanting to go and see the mountains and the sea and the whales and the whatever. Exactly. They're looking for that personal experience. And this seems to be what you're offering them. Exactly. And you know what? Every single one of the tours are based on a personal story of a young person. So we're not only building uh, young entrepreneurs and tour entrepreneurs, but we're also starting to uh, give them an opportunity for new stories to come out. And, you know, if a young person tells a story and we've been uh, with Tour 2.0 are able to turn their story into a commercial tour, it's really, it's your legacy. or You really start to live your legacy while starting a small business. And these small businesses are um, are impacting other people around them. So if there's a tour in Alex, for example, where you have your mom or other people in the community doing the catering for us, which is an incredible experience for a, uh, an international traveler, but what a wonderful little business for that community at the same time. So it really is about personal stories and being able to share them in a commercial and fun way for other people who come into the city. Don't you just love the the entrepreneurship and the enthusiasm of young people today? I mean, I'm really I get blown away every time I hear stories like yeah. this, and I think, gosh, this is, sounds so fabulous. Thank you very much. No, it is fabulous, and it's growing from strength to strength. Um, it's been growing for about two years now, and we're hoping that. With, with a project like this, more media impact and more people coming and booking these tours, um, these tour operators are just going to grow and be the next kind of tourist attraction for, for Johannesburg in South Africa. And as I always like to say on my shows, it's not just for the international tourists. We need to be tourists in our own cities, exactly. in our own country. Go and explore. This. Our local people need to get out there and discover the most magnificent country they live in. So get out there. 100%. Go and explore the weekend of the 6th and the 7th of September. Some fabulous tours going on up in Josie. And the website, if you would like to find out more about them, it's tour 2 0 com so it's two hyphen zero dot com go and have a look on their book because otherwise you're not going to get a ticket because i'm sure these tickets are limited and if you don't get there soon you are not going to get a ticket so hurry up go and get that and um Raylene, thank you so much for joining us and good luck with global shapers i'm sure we'll hear lots more from you about oh, what you're thanks doing there. For having us, really. thanks so much for your time Thank you so much. Uh, have a good evening. Thanks. Good night. I was chatting there with Raylene Rourke, and she's from Johannesburg Global Shapers Community. And we were talking there about the Josie 2.0 tours that are coming up for Tourism Month on the 6th and 7th of September. If you want to find out more about the tours, it's tour2-0.com. And if you'd like to find out more about the Global Shapers Community, that's globalshapers.org. And that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And just a reminder that if you need any information about something you've heard on the show this evening, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to travel on SAFM or you can email me on travel at safm.co.za. And I'll be back with you next Monday evening with the Law Report. So join me then. Well, it's time now for some nighttime music with Stephen Coker. Thank you, Karen. Hungry and uh, wanderlust. Uh, that's uh, two of the emotions that I have uh, tonight after listening to Time to Travel. Um, always nice to hear about food. No, it's not actually. I always seem to get very, very hungry, actually. I was looking at uh, someone's Facebook picture. Their daughter had made a smoothie, and I just immediately wanted a smoothie. Anyway, more great travel tips with Karen next week, Wednesday. And, of course, she does return on Monday with the Law Report, as she said. A very good evening for myself, Kirka, through until midnight. Uh, it's the midweek version of SFM's nighttime music uh, for a Wednesday night. Uh, chilling things down. We do first, though, have the 10 o'clock news.